Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 18. So, to recap, we've moved from lists to free writing. We've discussed free writing's murky fascist past. But one of the things I didn't mention about Dorothea Brand, the great old racist grandma of creative writing pedagogy, is that in the years following the publication of her hugely popular creative writing text, Becoming a Writer, she became a spiritualist medium. And this can be no coincidence. Free writing and plugging into the great Freudian unconscious was always kissing cousins with the rather funkier tradition of automatic writing. That is to say, the practice of a medium or spiritual channeler picking up a pen or brush and perhaps in a trance state, giving over the responsibility for the content to an external agency. It's like outsourcing your writing to a freelancer who's dead. As I've said, it has a long history. It's recorded taking place in 5th century China and this form of spirit writing called Fuji, where one writes in ashes or sand using a stick, became widely practised during the Song Dynasty. In 16th century England, the occult philosopher John Dee claimed to have had an entire language, Enochian, dictated to him. And during the height of the spiritualist movement, it was very common for people to either hold a pencil or move a glass across a Ouija board or even write via a small wooden platform on wheels through which a pen or pencil was placed so it could glide freely. I don't especially believe in any of the traditional mystic or extra physical explanations of automatic writing, although you are welcome to. Please don't think I'm looking down my nose or indeed cocking a rationalist snook at you. As a result, I just don't know of any plausible means by which that could be happening. But perhaps your life experience leads you to feel differently. That's fine. We can coexist. Your sense of the mechanism by which it operates is kind of irrelevant to your making use of it, frankly, unless, of course, you believe you're making yourself a conduit for powerful interdimensional entities of incredible evil who will gradually, through repeated exposure, wrest control of your will and bend you towards their wicked ends, in which case, well, I can certainly understand why you might be a mite leery. On the other hand, how well has your life gone with you in the driving seat so far? Mightn't it be time to let a vice Marquis of Pandemonium have a go behind the wheel? They might be a fantastic poet. Automatic writing is, in essence, an exercise in disassociation. It's about your saying, this is, for good or ill, nothing to do with me. I'm just turning up. And I think this selective temporary detachment can be a very adaptive psychological strategy. You know, I've been reading some research recently about political views and how when we have deeply held beliefs that we connect in some way to our identity and then we're confronted with information that challenges those beliefs, some of the same areas activate in our brain that activate when we're under physical threat. We have a stress response, we shut down, we we become less receptive to new data and actually you see the default mode network, the brain's sort of mind-wandering mode, activate sometimes as people just psychologically check out and start daydreaming rather than deal with the contrary information. So you can see why identifying with our output as we write, evaluating it live, so to speak, with the attitude that this is me, this work represents me, might trigger all those same responses. I think people who are invested in being authors, and I include myself amongst those, are particularly vulnerable to this because if you want to think of yourself as a writer and you watch yourself producing crap writing, that is an existential threat. I am a writer, 
I'm crap at this. Ugh. Am I a writer? Do I exist? It genuinely feels like you, your actual soul, is cracking open. It's... And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating this. At least not for me. It is a horrendous feeling and, and completely unhelpful. But any one of us who starts writing and treats what comes out as... Here come the results of the referendum on whether I'm a complete piece of shit is going to have a bad time, right? At best, you get a temporary stay of execution, right? In a dream scenario, all your writing comes out brilliantly and you go, phew, I got away with it this time. I briefly fooled the guards. At worst, it's like, oh God, I knew I was a bad writer. Here's the proof. Why am I sitting down and doing this? I have never felt less like a writer than when I'm writing. It can be so threatening and unpleasant if you're given to anxiety and self-criticism, as I have historically been. And an easy way to avoid that stress, that repeated disconfirmation of all your hopes and dreams, is to avoid writing. Hence writers' ubiquitous propensity to procrastinate. Oh, isn't it funny, writers dodging their work? No, they're sad, they're anxious, they're desperate. I don't think I'm alone here, right? I, I may do it a bit more than other people and I may be a bit sadder and more fearful than others, but I think most of us experience it at one time or another. And lots of people get round it by never trying. This is all a very long-winded way of saying. Imagining that your writing is being produced not by you, but by a capricious and eloquent ghost may be a fiction, may seem a bit silly, but I'd argue it can be really useful. You know I deliberately use this clinical language of beliefs and strategies being adaptive or maladaptive that has nothing to say about their truth value, I think, and there's a body of evidence which I reckon supports me, which I won't go into now, but I think there are cases in which it can be adaptive, helpful, healthy and productive to believe something that isn't true, or if you prefer to temporarily suspend our disbelief, to pretend to well do the same thing you do every time you read a story or watch tv to play and i think this is what we together are edging towards right now the shift from word splurges to starting to channel particular voices summon specific entities from within you our personalities are just constructs really aggregations of habits and ways of relating to the world. You shift the way that you act and your vocabulary and your whole manner of being, maybe even your posture, um, maybe your tone of voice. Whenever you speak to different people in your life, right, you have a different character that you take on when you speak to, for example, uh, perhaps your grandma than you do when you're speaking to a sales representative on the phone or your best friend or partner. There's no reason, really, why there shouldn't be a multitude of perfectly valid, valid alternate selves bubbling around inside us waiting to be loosed. Or who knows, maybe there really are benevolent alien intelligences or ascended masters or learned ancestors or cunning demons clustering around you right now, all aching to take custody of your hands and finally have their say. To help out. In 1917, W.B. Yeats began practising automatic writing like we've been doing almost daily after his new wife Georgie Hyde Lees introduced him to it. His early attempts were often incoherent, shambolic, rambling. Sometimes he'd write for ages only for the voice to tell him that everything he'd just written had been a deliberate distraction meant to lead him astray. 
but he continued to do it almost every day through the whole year and then through 1918 and into 1919. While the world was collapsing around him, while people died in the First World War, he turned up almost daily and wrote gibberish. And then in 1919 he wrote this. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed. And everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it, real shadows of the indigent desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Would Yeats have written the second coming without his daily practice of automatic writing? I mean, it's a pointless question. We can't answer it. We can't A-B test our lives unless you have a means of stepping into B-universe and finding out. All I can tell you is that automatic writing, free, unedited writing, is the seed he sowed every day for several years before writing that. And this is what he reaped. There are some other examples of this that I want to talk about in the days ahead, but when channeling a spirit, or in the case of the modern Christian charismatic movement where worshippers begin speaking in tongues, it often begins tentatively with a sense of self-consciousness and it's only over time that fluency and direction begin to take shape. So, who wants to talk to you today and what do they have to say? I don't know. You probably won't either until you start moving the pen or striking the keys. But I think it's only polite to do what many mediums, diviners, channelers and assorted mansers have done over the centuries, which is to listen. So for today's free write, this loose exploration, this open, receptive state of creativity and production where all the previous rules apply, nothing you write is going to be a mistake. Whatever style appears, whatever short sentences or long big words or small... Just let them come and observe. Try to keep writing. Don't think too much. Don't worry if you feel self-conscious or if the voice seems to change or contradict or repeat itself. We're just building a channel. There might be a bit of you in there. There might be a bit of something else. If it doesn't make sense, if it's just nonsense words or noise, that's okay. If you don't know where it's going or you feel silly, that's okay too. At the top of your paper today, you're going to open a channel to whatever wishes to speak. So get your notebook, your laptop, and again, it's a sentence fragment for the voice to continue. We're giving it a little sort of little branch, a little something to cling on to. So I'd like you to write, quote, the first thing you should know is, end quote. So you're starting off this page with, the first thing you should know is, Got it? The first thing you should know is. 
So are you ready to be open, receptive, to find out what happens? Great. You've got 10 minutes. Get ready. Three, two, one, go.
Okay, pens down. I, I don't know who or what came up for you there. You might like to take a break, then come back later and, and see what you've got. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, trick you into summoning an eldritch abomination. We're just experimenting with different methods to bypass various modes of rational inhibition and create some soft, wet clay. Later in the course, I'll be steering you through the truest of the dark arts, self-editing. That uh, really is hellish. What we're doing now is a combination of self-hypnosis, role-play and farting around, which I think are the three pieces of the writing triforce. Self-hypnosis, role-play and farting around. And there's more. The barriers between worlds have been rubbed thin by our meddling. Uh-oh. Let us seize this opportunity to draw more voices through from the other side. And with that in mind, sweet dreams, and I'll see you tomorrow. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.